Well, uh, this summer we've been looking into some divine direction for godly living from Proverbs and uh, from the messages that we've had previously from Todd. We see that Proverbs functions much like a biblical GPS system and the guidance is to protect us from ending up in the wrong place. And unlike the directions that Todd has given us, those directions that were fictitious, uh, Proverbs actually has a destination in mind that it's seeking to lead us to, and ultimately, it's leading us to a meaningful relationship with God by introducing us to the person and work of Jesus Christ, wisdom personified. To follow Christ is to follow this path of wisdom, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can find their way to God except through Him. If you recall, Todd also spoke of the virtue reality of sin, uh, this sin that makes us believe things that aren't true and to see things that aren't really there. And uh, as we become immersed in them, uh, the real world begins to lose all its meaning and we become captivated by a fantasy world. A fantasy world is where entertainment, comfort, and security starts to define our lives and there's no real consequence for our sin. And we found that Satan is behind that curtain of lies. He is the father of lies, and he's speaking those lies. But in his grace, God has spoken to open our eyes. He's our protector, and he is the voice of wisdom. Wisdom is God, and the voice of wisdom is the very voice of God. And he has spoken to us through his prophets, and in these last days, he has spoke to us finally through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, Solomon here in Proverbs is revealing what the deception is, and what is really true. And he's trying to expose the temptations of this world and then revealing the truth that exists behind the lie. So finally, last week we heard about the voice of wisdom that's calling out. And we found that those who feel a real need for wisdom, who lack it and, and desire it, they hear that voice. But those who are caught up into the world and caught up to all that it offers don't really feel they have need, and they fail to hear that voice. And the scary thing we found is that uh, the, very, uh, the, the weight of this is that life and death are in the balance. But if we do not perceive the need, we'll be unwilling to listen. So I ask you, do you hear it? Do you hear the call of the world? appealing to your desires, vying for your affections. The call to take hold of that which seems to offer the greatest benefit for you right now in this life. The world has said, particularly within our culture in the past, if you work hard, sacrifice, to get ahead, then you can hurry up and get to living the happy life right now. In the new generations coming up, that, that call has changed a little bit. The call sounds like this, the world saying, just get to living the happy life today because there are too many uncertainties about tomorrow. Now don't shake your heads about the, the latter one, the call of today, because the reality is that both calls are the call of the world. And they're both lies. One is not necessarily better than the other. Behind the goals that the world is working towards, 
There are beliefs and values that determine them. There are perspectives that are had that inform them and experiences that people have that validate them. And without the wisdom of God, these calls of the world are very compelling. They're compelling to us, those who do have the wisdom of God oftentimes. We currently have a, culture, a, a church culture in America that demands for teaching that's relevant, applicable, and helpful to me right now, right where I am. Tell me what to do that will make the difference in the path I am on right now. That's the call. Help me to reach the goals I've set. We don't have need of someone who's so heavenly minded, he was of no earthly good. Give us something practical. But what if an earthly good is not the goal? Or what if that goal is defined radically different than the way we're defining it? What if we're so earthly minded that we lack a proper heavenly perspective? What if the path we're on is a broader path, the one that might lead to death? What if we have need to find a narrow path leading to life? You know, that narrow path is not easy to find. What if what is truly relevant and applicable does not help you to live your life as you're currently living it, but calls you to a radically different life altogether? You got that feeling in your stomach? Ugh. Do you really want to hear about and have to work through those questions? It could be hard and painful. I think that's why we get that feeling in our stomach. We think, this might be a little painful. Often we just kind of want a band-aid to kind of cover the wound up, you know? We don't want the surgery that's going to require therapy and a long road to recovery. That just sounds like a whole lot of work. That sounds tiring. Well, let's pray and ask God for wisdom before we begin. Father, thank you that you are faithful to answer our calls as we call for wisdom. Lord, I do pray that you would make our ear attentive and incline our heart to the wisdom that you have in your gospel and your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you speak to us this morning and would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see that we might know you and follow you and be faithful to you all the days of our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Brad. Well, having examined the prologue in the beginning here in, in Proverbs 1, and the two warnings that followed, we now enter into the first of the parents' teaching. Chapter 1 opens with an invitation to seek after wisdom and adds warning to those who refuse. But chapter 2 calls the son to begin the seeking. Wisdom was calling out in chapter 1, and now in chapter 2 it calls the son to call out and seek for wisdom. And it's followed not by warning but by promises of finding wisdom and enjoying the protection that it gives. So you'll see a lot of the same themes recapitulated, but there's a little bit different focus. 
And understanding the structure of this chapter is really important. You might see the outline in your bulletin, and if you're like uh, Linda and Sandy, you'll go, well, that's a weird outline. What in the world does that mean? Well, I want you to understand, first of all, it's poetry uh, that we're reading here in Proverbs. And, And the way this poem goes, there's 22 lines, the same number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and and it, it functions like an acrostic, but it's not an acrostic that goes A to Z or from the beginning of the Hebrew alphabet to the last. It's an acrostic that the first half of it begins with the first letter, Aleph, in the Hebrew uh, alphabet, and the second half of it begins with the first letter of the second half of the Hebrew alphabet, Lamed. Do you got it? So... Uh, And it's portraying something to us, this structure, is just so you know. We have a saying that would say something like, um, everything from A to Z, right? And we'd know that that's communicating a sort of comprehensiveness, correct? Well, that's the way these acrostics function. So it's like saying, this book, which, you know, we had the intro in chapter 1, this really is chapter 1 of the book. And it's saying, everything that's said here is wisdom A to Z. There's a comprehensiveness to it. All right, and, and this chapter 2 happens to be kind of an overview of all that we'll see throughout the book of Proverbs. So guys, get ready. We're looking at really big picture today. All right, uh, We're kind of looking at the overview, the 10,000 foot view of wisdom from A to Z. All right, And so you'll see that there's, these are, it's basically the, it's structured as a conditional statement. So The first four verses start with if, and it's conditioned on the verses that follow from 5 to 11, which is then, and uh, then in 12 to 19, it's in order to be saved, and in the very end, it's in order to walk. So it's a big conditional if-then statement. Are you with me? And then the benefits that come. So that's basically the structure of it. Um, This outline is helpful because you can observe the repetitive terms for understanding and protection, which are themes that we're going to see throughout. So, in sum, chapter 2's teaching is this, and we'll go home. Wisdom, defined as knowing God who is wisdom, protects us by providing the understanding needed to enable us to say no to the temptations that lead to death and to walk the path of life. You see the big picture? So, in us coming to know God, so we gain understanding. And we're able to resist temptation of the call of the world. And, therefore, we will be able to walk the paths of life. Alright? That's essentially the message. I'm going to front and load this message just a little bit with a concept that we're going to interpret this through, okay? And it's a biblical concept. It's not fabricated in any way. Uh, It's just a lens. And so... Uh, there's a sweeping vision of wisdom here, and really that sweeping vision coincides with the gospel, all right? And if you remember, this is a father trying to instruct their son. So there's a natural relationship that exists here. It's a love relationship between a father and a son. And so I'm going to grab a hold of that love relationship, and we're going to look at that and understand this chapter through that lens, okay? So we're going to start with the father, all right? Fathers and even children, think about your fathers. The father is the lover, okay? 
And the lover seeks to elevate the beloved to the fullness of what he was created to be. The lover, the father, seeks the good of the beloved. Are you with me? That simple. Alright? The son is the beloved. He's the recipient of the love that the father seeks on his behalf. Do you get that? Just think, small kid, yeah, receiver of all the provision and love that a father is trying to give. Alright? So that's where we're going to start. Verses 2, 1 through 4. Let's read this. My son... If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. You see the ifs there? And the ifs really correspond to, if you remember in chapter 1, you had the voice of wisdom, the voice of the father, of the lover, calling out. Telling them the way that they should go that will be for their best and warning of the danger that impends if they do not. So here in chapter 2, you see the Beloved and the Beloved has a role. The Son has a role. What's the Son's role? To call out. To ask for. To seek. Right? And so you've got the condition statements. The three ifs. It's a process of learning and accepting and keeping. And it's equated with an attentiveness to wisdom and to understanding. We're to be calling out to them, searching for them as a treasure of silver to be found. So, if the Son, what it's saying is, if the Son will seek the good, the Father's trying to impart to Him via wisdom. That's the conditional. Alright, you with me? That's simple. Now, to be attentive to wisdom, to be inclined towards understanding, that's not just to hear it, you know? That's actually to heed it. Uh, James would put it this way. Don't be mere hearers of the Word who delude themselves, but be doers of the Word. It's easy, even here, right? To walk in, receive a message with joy and excitement that I felt convicted, I was moved emotionally, you know, and I felt like God really spoke to me, and that's great. And then go home and come back the next week and... I've even heard people go, man, that message last week was great. Really, I wasn't there. What was it about? I don't remember, but it was really good. You know, a hearer can delude themselves, get themselves to thinking that I've been changed. But the reality is we kind of delude ourselves there because there's still the hard work of obeying that which we've learned. And it is hard work. And we come to find that here in our passage The, the common assumption here for these if statements, there's, there's one common assumption in them. This is what they are. Ready? Who is the one who may, must make their ear attentive to the wisdom? Think about the character of that one that must make their ear attentive to the wisdom. Who's the one that has to incline their heart to understanding? Who's the one that has to call out for wisdom? Who must seek after wisdom like treasure? Do you know which one has to do that? The one who doesn't have it. Are you with me? You don't have to do any of those things if you already have it. So it's the one that doesn't have this that has to seek for it this way. And so the one that doesn't possess is the one that seeks after. My son just graduated from being a sophomore. All right? 
So, that's great. That's great. Sophomore being the word sophos, which is wisdom, and moros, which is fool, the word we get moron from. <laughs> Sophomore means a wise fool. All right? Um, a wise fool is one who thinks he knows everything and doesn't believe he has a need for knowing something else. He's now a junior, though, and we hope that being a junior will be accompanied by greater humility that he might actually seek for wisdom. See, humility is the prerequisite to gaining wisdom. A humility that acknowledges both one's own insufficiency and their lack of wisdom, but also the sufficiency of another from which we'll go to gain it. Are you with me? The wise fool thinks he's self-sufficient and has no need of anything else. In speaking of humility, uh, Gerald McDermott says this, and this is very helpful, I think. Humility is seeing things for what they really are. It is seeing God for who He is in all the glory and beauty of His holy love. When we see that, God, we can't help but see ourselves for who we really are, sinful worms by comparison. Once we get a glimpse of God's pure, self-giving love for us, we will be overwhelmed by our own uncleanness and self-obsession. And we see that God has created everything and continues to sustain everything moment by moment. We realize that apart from Him, we can do nothing. This is reality. This is seeing things as they really are. This is humility. So wisdom could be defined as living in light of how things really are, right? That's wisdom. To live in light of the way things really are is wisdom. But one must first have humility to see things as they are before they can work to reorient their lives to it and gain wisdom. Are you with me? So, so humility is to see things as they are, including yourself and God. Wisdom is to walk in that and to live according to that. There's hard work involved there. It's not just hearing. In hearing, you might gain humility. You might come to see things as they are. But it's going to be in much work and labor, calling out, seeking as for treasure, investing your life, reorienting your life to that truth that will come to gain wisdom. It's going to be some hard work. So... Here's the question. Does this characterize your search for wisdom? Desperate, needy, passionate, not passive, seeking after it because of your great need. If not, it's possible that we don't think we have the need. We might have been deceived by the world. Or we, we would lack humility in that case, seeing things in ourselves the way they truly are. And unfortunately, we could miss out on the great rewards that this passage holds out for those who would seek it. And so we move to the next stanza. Uh, then you will understand. And, and this is going to explain what would make all this work worthwhile in 2 verses 5 through 8. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. 
So notice this is the first of the resulting statements that all begin with then, right? You had the ifs. If you'll seek, if you'll pursue, then this is what you get, all right? The first reward of this diligence is this. You get God. That's what you get. You will discern the the fear of the Lord. This quest for wisdom, understanding, and insight brings one to discern the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. And this knowledge isn't just an intellectual apprehension. It's not that I know all these attributes of God and I can define all those to them. This knowledge permeates one's entire being. It's a knowledge that touches the emotions and will. it's, It's a relationship and the experiencing of this person in intimate love. All right? So it's like this. To have the knowledge of God would be like this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That would be the same as to know God the way this is talking about knowing God. To know Him in that intimate relationship. All right? That's the reward for that pursuit of God. But we only love God as His beloved, right? We, beloved, we love God as one who God is seeking the best of. We love God as one who submits to as one who discerns the fear of the Lord, who reverentially submits himself to God because he acknowledges God is fully sufficient and I'm not. I'm undone and God is where I come to be put back together again. Right? So we come to love God as his beloved. And so humbly, we depend on his provisions. Humbly, we submit to his commands. And we seek to abide with him, to walk with him all the time. So so that we can gain that wisdom. So we use this inter- I'm using this interpretive concept of love so that we can understand that gaining wisdom is relational by its very nature. We as the Son and God as our Father. And God is seeking our good and calling out to us. And we are to seek after Him. Just as the Son is called here to do. To seek after, to pursue it as treasure to be gained. So in a love relationship, they're defined this way. You have intensity and exclusivity. I'll give you an example. A marriage. Pretty high intensity and exclusivity, right? No one else related to that way until death you do part. Pretty high level of commitment, right? And that level of commitment is warrants a particular level of union. So there's a union that happens between a man and a wife that's unlike any other union that should happen between two people on this earth, right? And that union issues forth in a transformation that is proportionate to the union. The two become one. And it's interesting, that transformation is so great, it even issues forth in new life. It's a great transformation. And that's the nature of a love relationship. So you have a father who's committed to a son and committed to seeking his best and raising him up, and they are united together. The son actually becomes like the image of the father, right? And that commitment is unto the son until he's mature. To raise him up to the fullness of what he was created to be. And it does issue forth in transformation, for indeed the son is transformed. His image becomes like that of the father who's loved him. We find this in scripture as well. John talks about it. He talks about... Uh, about we come to, we love the children of God who are born of God. Why? Because we love God. 
we become like the one who we've been united to. So this union leads to transformation of the beloved son into the image and likeness of his loving father. Does that sound familiar? You become like the one you're united to. In this case, you become wise because you're united to the one who is wise, who is wisdom himself, God. So in contrast to the you will understand and find, the Lord is the subject of all the statements that follow. And so you have this wisdom that we finally find is a gift of God, which is it's an interesting contrast. We're to seek after it. We're to pursue it. We're to give all of our efforts to it. But in the end, it's a gift of God. It's something He gives to us. He grants it to us. This is to lift us up in our pursuit. To lift us up and encourage us that if you seek it, you will find. God is kind and He grants those who ask and those who seek. And so you're encouraged to do that here in Proverbs, to seek after Him. So, the fear of the Lord is seeing God as He is. And it brings all other things into focus. And so this wisdom that we talked about, this GPS system, this is actually a relationship. And in coming to know the Lord, we come to know all things the way they truly are. This knowing God allows us to know these other things. In verse 6, Scripture says this, From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. This depicts God as the great teacher working through the parent, working through agency, not just giving divine revelation individually to people, but working through His agents. And there are many agents, right? We read the Scriptures that are through His agents of prophets and apostles, right? Jesus Christ, His Son, is His agent, which was His final revelation that revealed the very character of God. And then there are agents of a different character. There are you, the spirit and dwell body of Christ, God's agents, where you are both loving one another. You, through the Spirit, are loving those God is loving them through you. And you are also receiving the love God is offering through one another. And then there's husbands to wives, as Ephesians talks to, about, right? And there's parents to children. So for us to receive this love, to be the beloved, is for us to be the beloved of God because He's using agency. But ultimately, and that's what the Scripture is acknowledging, it's all coming from God. He's the one who's giving it all. Sometimes we have a very individualized view of spirituality, right? Me, God, and the Bible. I, I tell you what I did. I went in there with my Bible and I prayed and God spoke to me and this is what I'm doing. Okay. Maybe so. The danger in that is that you might just be doing what you think's right in your own eyes. The great thing about that is no one gets to question that. I've kind of determined my path, but I was praying, so God did, really. Never mind the agency that He's chosen to use. It's just me making my way. Submission's hard, and yet Scripture calls us to submit to one another in all the fear of Christ. That's part of being the beloved of God or being the one who is seeking the wisdom of God, is in submitting to God, we come to find that He asked us to submit to one another. He asked us to submit to the authorities that are over us, whether it be elders and leaders that He's assigned to us, 
submitting to God is submitting to them too. But the fool does not do submission well. Submission's hard. We typically like to submit to those who give the most appealing offer, right? Church hopping is real popular these days. Not really what I'm liking. Not really challenging me the way I want to be challenged, you know? It's kind of going against what I'm trying to do. I'm going to find another place, you know? I want something that's a little more appealing to me, that really meets me where I'm at. Often we want our pursuits validated by others, not challenged by others, when we seek that validation. But it's in community. It's in submitting to those relationships that God's given us. It's in really pursuing wisdom, acknowledging that it's probably outside of us and that we have need of it, that we might come to gain it. It's in laying aside the way that seems best in our own eyes and looking for a way that God has called us to. That's hard to do, to be honest. Very difficult. So in sum, the search of wisdom brings the wonderful gifts of knowledge, especially the knowledge of God, and as a result, the protection one needs to walk on the way. It says... This will give us the ability to have victory or live life well. But what does it mean to live life well? Really, what does that mean? I have a good job. I make good money. We get to go on vacations. My kids get to do all they want to do. I live in the right house in the right school district where my kids go to the right school. What is it to live life well? I really enjoy my job. I'm living life pretty well. Looks like we've got a good retirement ahead of us. We've got great plans for what we want to do as we get older. What does it mean to live life well? Remember, Satan's trying to appeal to our flesh. He's trying to appeal to the things that, that we des- that the desires that we have through the call of the world. Remember, the world said, if you work hard and get ahead, then you can hurry up and get to living the happy life right here in this life. Pretty quick, too. Just work hard. Or for the younger generations... You only live once, right? Hashtag YOLO. (laughs) Live the happy life today because tomorrow is uncertain. Grab everything you can right now. Do whatever it takes to be able to do it because you don't know about tomorrow. Satan's appealing to us through the lust of our eyes. Look at this life that looks good that you desire to have, right? Through the lust of the flesh... Look how fulfilling that seems. Wouldn't it be good to have that for myself? I could be so fulfilled. And and is appealing to the pride of life, right? The pride of life says this. If I have that, that looks good, I'll be fulfilled and I'll come to have security. And I'll have need of no one. I'll become self-sufficient. Does that sound like the man of humility who acknowledges the way things really are and acknowledges need? Or does that look like the way of the world that says, I can have everything I need and I'll have need of no one? The consistency of the call of the world is this. Live your life for you. Gain your life on this side of the grave right now. Lay hold of it. It's yours for the taking. Pursue your dreams. Ready? Because you can be anything you want. 
Chase after your dreams. It's all about you. Does that sound like a familiar call? You might catch yourself saying it to your kids sometimes. Pursue after your dreams. This life is yours for the taking. How radical would the change have to be? How hard would it be to pursue wisdom if Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life? I mean, just stop for a second. Does that sound like what Jesus pursued in his life? Or does it sound like the most radical opposite you could ever imagine of what Jesus pursued in his life? Let's listen to this. Paul said this in Philippians. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Well, that rules out the call of the world. Um, But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That definitely doesn't go along with it. Do not merely look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed as God, humbled Himself to become a man, even a servant. And He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Does that sound like the vision of life that you are looking for on this side of the grave? Give up your life for everybody else, even death. YOLO. It stands in stark contrast to the call of the world. A call that if we don't pursue vehemently, we are naturally inclined towards. We don't have to work at all to fall in line with that, to be honest with you. But to fall in line with Christ, there's going to need to be some attentive ears. There's going to need to be some very inclined hearts. And there will be some work to move in that direction. Because it will be against the current of this entire world. Is your life lining up with the wisdom who is Christ? That's the hard question. But surely, surely this Christ life is not the good life. I mean, He did live that self-sacrificing life so that we could live a more enjoyable, fulfilling life, right? Now be careful, because that is true, isn't it? He did live that life so we could have a more fulfilling and even enjoyable life. So where's the lie in that? The lie is not whether that is true. The lie is how that's true. <laughs> how an enjo- more enjoyable life. How a more fulfilling life. And the more important question is going to be, on which side of the grave? The next then you will understand, verses 9-11 through 11 says this, Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Notice the emphasis on path, this path they're on, and the character and the protection that it's offering. Instead of understanding the fear of the Lord in this stanza, the son understands what is right, just, and fair. So in coming to know this person who is God, you come to know the way that is the true way, the way that you should go. So in coming to know Christ who is wisdom, you know what we also come to know? The way, the way of Christ that is the true way to go. Man, that's scary. So we begin as these subjects of God's love who He's calling to come to know Him. 
And as we come to know Him and we're united to Him, we're transformed to become like Him. And we come to walk the path that He would lay out, the path of wisdom. But what is this to protect us from? Because He's not answered that yet. What are we so supposed to be protected from? Verses 12 through 15. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of unrighteous, who leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This and the next section that's about the woman, there's actually things that correspond. They're similar because they both image a path or a way that's wicked and evil. And they also, both of these misused words, they lie, they twist things, they give temptations and promises that aren't true. And they both, the beloved is needed to be protected from both of these because they're easily influenced by each of these influences. The call of the wicked man, the call of the adulteress. So there's a danger of lies here. What is a lie? What's a good lie? You know? If I told you my shirt was red, I doubt I could convince you. If I told you it was periwinkle, I probably had a pretty good chance, though. A lie has to have a strain of truth to validate it. And the best lies have the biggest strands of truth. Right? Jesus' self, self-sacrificial death was for your good and enjoyment of life. True, right? Therefore, take hold of that life right now. Get the big house. Get the car. Go and do what all your dreams were. Do you see the lie? That wasn't the joy he was calling you to, actually. That, that actually wasn't what he was securing for you. And it wasn't ever on this side of the grave. But I might be able to pass that law off because there's enough truth in it that it sounds valid. It sounds legitimate. But wisdom unravels this riddle. It leaves the, the beloved rejoicing in what is just and right is fair. He comes to see the wisdom of that path. Even though it doesn't make sense at first. You remember when Satan sought to tempt Jesus? He tempted him with things that he already had. And do you remember how Jesus responded? He responded with Scripture. It unraveled those lies. It unraveled the half-truths that he, was, that he was saying. So in stark contrast to this call of the wicked that leads to death, God has called us to love one another by seeking to stir one another to love and good deeds. He's not called us to go and take what is yours, go and take and fulfill all your desires, God in His love has called us to go and give for the good of others. Lay down your life. Don't take it up. It's an interesting call. And the question kind of comes to start to, why? Why would you live that way? With the strange woman, we see much of the same with the wicked man. That we're to be saved from the adulteress to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, there's the speech again, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. She forsakes the commitment of relationship and merely enjoys the union. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. 
None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of, of life. So you see more of the same from the adulteress as you see from the wicked man. And this abandon of marriage is a symbol for faith, faithlessness of all kinds, forsaking the commitment of your Lord, forsaking the commitment to follow Christ, to go and follow the call of the world. That's the temptation of the adulteress. Do you remember Ephesians 5? It lackens a marriage covenant to the covenant between Christ and His church. And so Christ is the lover who sacrificially gives Himself for the good of the beloved, the bride of the church. And He seeks to elevate her to the fullness of all that God intended for her. Remember? To sanctify her. To present her in all her glory, holy and blameless. You see what the lover is doing for the beloved? We act as an adulteress when instead of promote the good that Christ is seeking to raise us up to holy and blameless, we spurn Him and pursue the call of the world to take our lives for our own. That's being persuaded by the adulteress. Do you get it? Lay hold of your life. Pursue your dreams. It's all about you. When we pursue that life, we play the adulteress to our bridegroom who is Christ, who calls us to follow Him and who is seeking our best. And remember what the union in a love relationship yields? It yields transformation, right? We become like the one who we have been united to. Well, the love of the adulteress doesn't end in transformation. It doesn't have the exclusivity of the commitment. So what it ends in is actually death. The opposite of transformation. Separation. Death ultimately is separation. Our spiritual death is our separation from God. Our, and, and physically we come to die and our bodies are separated from our spirit. Right? And so here's Christ who's come, the bridegroom. He's come and He stood the gap. He fulfilled all righteousness, that which was required of us. He paid the penalty of sin the wages for our sin, which was death. And he reconciled us to God. You see death being overcome there? And far more than that, once he was buried, he was raised again from the dead. He was resurrected. He conquered death, which was the power of sin. He conquered death and ascended into heaven and sent his spirit to be united with us that we could become united to God. And so we have this hope that we too will be resurrected one day. We are made whole by Christ who is wisdom because His path is a path of wisdom. But that path is a peculiar path. I've been fascinated by the concept of a wayfarer. You know what a wayfarer is? A wayfarer is someone who travels with the intentionality of destination. He doesn't just wander around looking for things he might want to do. He knows his destination. He knows what it's going to take to get there. He makes all the preparations. He knows what obstacles he might, he might face. And he plans for that so that he can arrive at his destination. Now here's the challenge. Our destination not, might not be the right place in the, first, in the beginning. If our destination is for what we gain in this life, we have chosen the wrong destination. Because the promise that Christ gives us of joy, the promise that He gives us of, 
a, a life eternal is a promise that exists on the other side of the grave. It's hard to reconcile giving your life for the good of others and forsaking your life to follow Christ with the call of the world, doesn't it? Why would you give away your life? Well, if you're no longer afraid of death, if death no longer has its hold on you, and if you are sure and certain of a resurrection that's to come, then guess what you're now free to do? Lay down your life and lay hold of Christ. You're free to do it because your destination is on the other side of the grave. You can give your life because you have the hope of resurrection. And that's something no one can take from you. I'm going to leave this with Hebrews 11 because our final stanza talks about the land. It talks about the land that we seek to gain. That we would walk in the land and not be separated from it. All right? Listen to what that land is in Hebrews 11, and I'll dismiss this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Sounds like the hope of the one that seeks wisdom, right? That he'll be rewarded. All these, and he's referring to saints that have sacrificed their lives, died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. But they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Are they seeking a destination on this side of earth? They're seeking one on the other side. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And then he gives, listen to Moses. By faith, Moses chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mocking and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Does that sound like the call of the world? Take up and lay hold of your life? No. They laid down their lives because they were looking for a kingdom that was to come. And they didn't receive the promises in this life, though you've received a deposit in the Spirit. They didn't. We've received a deposit, and it's a deposit on eternity. And if we're going to walk in wisdom, if we're going to walk in the way of Christ, we won't be able to walk in the ways of this world. We won't be able to pursue ourselves as an end and all the things we desire and want in this life. We'll have to forsake this life. We'll have to turn from the call of this world and we'll have to seek to lay down our life for the sake of others. We'll have to take up our cross and bear it as Christ calls us to. We'll have to lose our life that we might gain it in life eternity. We'll have to have a destination on the other side of the gate where we're resurrected and we'll live with God forever. Do you think we might have need of wisdom? Solomon did. He said, Lord, give me not wealth. 
for my, I might have no need of you at all. We have enough wealth here that we can pursue all those things and, and seemingly lay hold of them. But in the end, their way leads to death. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Forsake yourself and pursue Him. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You are wisdom and that You pursue us and that You invite us to pursue You. Thank You that You seek our good and that Your way and Your will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Help us, Lord, to see the deception of this world and to... To, to have humility, to know and discern what is true and what is right. God, I pray that you would allow us to be faithful, that we would seek and that we would find, that we would knock and you would open to us, Lord. God, lead us in this, and may we lay hold of the grace you give us to follow in Christ's name. Amen.